Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. I don't think we're going to do anything constructively anymore ever again. Ever. No. <laughs> um, okay. So you got a couple options. Uh, I'm, okay. I'll, I'll give you version A first, and then then we'll we'll retrace. <laughs> I'll give you version B. Version A is a tweak on the original joke I heard. V B is my expansion of that. Okay. Neither are great. I think so. <laughs> so. Okay. Buckle, buckle up. You know, <laughs> in this pandemic, Nick has been going crazy. Like I and I think maybe it's finally like setting into his brain or something. He is like each day he goes around in our resonance here and he takes down a wall and he's replacing the wall with like celery and rhubarb and fennel and asparagus and everything. I think he really has a Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> so that's A. So where I was going to go with that is, okay, he's replacing the walls with rhubarb and fennel and asparagus. And then, and then once these new walls are up, he's covering the walls with shareholder certificates from different companies. He had Tesla disney walmart and then he goes to each of our shelves and makes sure that each has full inventory and when the quantities are low he goes to our back room takes the items and refills the shelves and, and i mean he's obsessed with really a stockholm syndrome I think the cheers come in the fact that you finally got to the end of the. <laughs> so I, the I was, best part, I was laughing to myself while I was writing that. And that's, I knew that that was the biggest laugh I would get. <laughs> well, there's joy in the process is what that is, what that proves. And, I, and the best part is that I completely forgot to record on my end until halfway through your explanation of the second joke. So. I'll have fun stitching stitching this together at some point without our without our five claps. So. <laughs> you want to just clap one? Yeah, here we go. One, two, three, four, five. There you go. <laughs> and we're back. Oh my oh, goodness! Oh wow. So, um, you know, slow news week. Um, yeah, really, nothing, nothing, nothing worth talking about at all. Jeez. Uh, so. Every day has been the biggest news day in a year. In history. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the president's in hospital and he seems, you know, all reports are he's doing well and, and that's fine and great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the news fatigue, like, I, because it's so sensationalist, it's so interesting and, affects each of our lives so significantly over 
the next four years and the rest of our lives uh, that like every moment of news seems to be the most important ever. And I'm exhausted of yeah. all the news and the slicing and dicing. He interrupted him 174 times and took a smallest yeah. and blah, 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 blah. Masking the audience and masking this thing going. He knew about this when and then went over. And yeah. I feel like that's where we all are in this uh, this world right now. And I just want some peace. <laughs> I just want it to be over. I just want it to be over. <laughs> but I, but I, there's not going to be an over anytime soon. Yeah. Um, even like even after January twentieth, like I guarantee there's something. There's, there's yeah. Well, it's almost like there's been a precedence set about how normal the last, especially four years, but even the last decade has been, and it's it's like, I mean, I guess it's like the escalation of any reality show. They need to keep. <clears throat> people's right. interest by doing x y and z and else nobody's tuning in yeah right. and nobody's watching and nobody's making money off of it subsequently even if things return quote back to at least a little bit more normalcy and, and decorum one side is still going to feel like well you guys made such a big deal last four years about right. everything so now we're going to do that 100 percent. and then the other side and it's just this reactive <clears throat> circle that no one ever heals from yeah uh, i i but yeah i mean i've agree. i've cut out almost all i mean i didn't i wasn't huge in into following like the super nitty-gritty like i get my broad strokes and then i kind of fill it in with like if we have this you know often you and i and brian and, and nick and sarah will have messages you know going back and forth and clarifying yeah. or asking about things or did you see this or whatever and um, I, it's funny how much drudge <laughs> helps me do that because I know the five sentences that I'll read from him kind of cover this is what happened. You know, this is what's happening. So, like, right. I know Trump is in the hospital. He has released a video saying this. Like, and that's fine. That's all I really want to know right. at this point. I have kind of gone into this um, defense mechanism especially for this last month here up to the election where i am going to just disengage from being part of any discussions unless somebody asks me like there's people that do message me and ask me you know my thoughts on something or my take on something and that's fine but just to try to be some sort of presence of peace a little bit like posting a f my flat my pictures of my flower vine or like my stupid vhs things just sort of this any sort of island of calm at this point that i feel like i'd bring to people is much more valuable even m more valuable than things that are really important i guess i no, i totally agree and we have the vr headset the the oculus right <gasps> yes and, and it's great for like fully disengaging your current reality and literally going into a virtual reality and uh so the last two occasions that i've spent any more than an hour inside uh, the vr headset the first time ruth bader ginsburg died <laughs> the second time 
Trump became positive. And so like each experience, I came out a very different Into world. Into a different reality. <laughs> you are like ground I'm, zero of the butterfly I'm, effect. I'm pretty sure that I'm causing these things. And so I've... Uh, oh my gosh. And it doesn't have headphones on it. I don't use the headphones. I use kind of the the speakers that are on it so that if the phone rings or something you can you, you can hear the ambient noises around right. you and so i heard it was like 11 10 or whatever it was the other night when trump announced that he was positive and and i heard the flurry of messages back and forth in our collective little messaging app <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and I'll continue my game for another 20 minutes. Yeah. And then I, you know, wrapped up the game. I get out. I'm like, <gasps> and why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so. So are you playing a certain game in VR? Like what what are you doing? So I, I was uh, there was a, a game that I finished called uh, Room VR, which is. A series of puzzles and they're really cool. Oh, cool. Uh, I I played it on iPad uh, on the iPad before, but now it's immersive uh, and it's um, you're in a room and you're it, it's almost like escape rooms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with a, a big story with VR, they've got really amazing uh, experiences that you can't do in real life, like. There will be a dollhouse on the desk, and then you click a button, and now you are doll size, and you are in the house, and you have things to do in the house, and walk around and and interact with that house to expose something that then, when you exit the house, you can see it to access it in uh, real normal size. Things like that. That that's that cool. Are, are, are great. Uh, and then the other game that I've just picked up for a short period of time, I was using this workout app called Supernatural. And I showed the video uh, preview to Brian, Brian Kidd, uh, uh, AKA the Unipiper, uh, friend of the show. And he said, um, <clears throat> boy, I hope they are giving Beat Saber some money for that uh, because it's Beat Saber. And I had seen Beat Saber, but I've never played it. So the subscription service for the workout thing is like $20 a month. Beat Saber is like $29 one time. Uh, so I looked at it and uh, I got Beat Saber. It is exactly the same experience. <laughs> uh, and so for the last week, I've been playing Beat Saber, uh, not nearly as well as the kids do. Uh, but so is that basically I've never seen anything from Beat Saber, but is it basically Dance Dance Revolution? But you use a lightsaber to hit the things instead of your feet. Yes. Look at me. Put that together. Look at you. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> that's precisely what it is. And so the, wow. the the direction that you swipe to hit the cube as it comes at you is important. Uh, not hitting the bombs is important. Uh, ducking and dodging walls that uh, come at you as well is important. And all those things are replicated in the uh, workout <laughs> program yeah. as, as well. And 
you know, 20 minutes of that. And that's you, awesome. It's an it's a full aerobic workout. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not good at it, uh, <laughs> but I don't need to be. <laughs> it's it's interesting and fun. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm, and I've, I'm I've, I've done, you know, the VR kind of stuff with you and a tiny bit at Brian's house. Um, and then the the boys I take care of have um, the steam index i believe it's called okay uh which is this uh online steam engine or whatever uh their vr and i've i've done i i it sounds so weird i went in i went into the vr um and did it was like a bow and arrow game it was like you're just standing on this thing i'm like little creatures are coming at you and it's i mean it's just a dumb game and i'm not a huge gamer anyway i mean i haven't played a game I don't remember last time right. <laughs> since Brian gave me the retro Nintendo that I've played Super Mario Brothers on. But it, I mean, it really does mess with your mind is the wrong word because that makes it sound like you're confused and like angry and, and whatever. But it, no. it really, and immersive sounds so overdone. But it's amazing that just this stupid, like, thing that has the graphics of like minecraft how you feel like you're there shooting arrows at them and you're panicking and you're on the edge of a cliff and you're engaged in that i know vertigo and the so one yeah one of these days if quarantine ever ends i'm looking forward to coming up to your house for like a couple hours and just like really doing something that's more than just like a little yeah uh, the the one game that we always introduce people to vr with is richie's plank experience and uh it's the simplest of concepts you arrive you are in an elevator you press the button the elevator goes up you hear elevator music the door opens and there's a plank uh that you have to walk out and that's it but the plank you know you are on the side of a building 12 stories up and the just like you said the graphics are like minecraft graphics there's no there's no illusion that any of this looks real at all (laughs) at all and your brain doesn't care at all uh and so i remember the weirdest because i you uh showed me that one when you were still at 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 one of your old uh jobs and I remember I did okay walking out and standing on the plank and looking around and I'm like, whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of, but then I tried to look up and for some reason looking up made me like fall, like almost just fall over. And I was like, what is happening? That's weird. When Nick tried it, he like hit the ground. He couldn't stand up uh, and his body just went into panic. I've uh, other people, have like will hyperventilate or immediately start sweating like all of the uh fight or flight kind of uh reactions and the adrenaline reactions physically manifest and happen in their lives and 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 i mean uh, we we get to a point which is in kind of inevitable where there's some curved screen that really does give you a you know, 180 degree or whatever the the human field of vision is, that's when it's really going to start screwing with us. Because I mean, even right now, as immersive as it is, it's still, you know, just that block in front of your face and you have to turn to see something as opposed to being able to use peripheral vision. So there's still a little bit of that disconnect. But once those screens come in where that's not an issue, that's 
I mean, what even is reality? Right. I, I totally agree. One of the games that we play uh, that more of an experience is uh, a roller coaster ride. And you get a couple guns and you get to pop balloons along the way. And, and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. They have settings for how constrained do you want your vision to be, which helps vertigo and seasickness or, or you know, motion sickness. Yeah. Uh, and so for beginners, you basically start and you are looking out a tube. They, they put a restriction on. And so you have to manually look everywhere to see anything. Uh, the more experience you get with the ride, the more it will open up until you finally get, you know, the glasses view, which is still restricted. But it messes with your brain, and your brain gets sick uh, really quick with that. Well, what's kind of fascinating about that is because, I mean, I, I feel like <clears throat> I've always thought vertigo and, and seasickness and all that you know that it's the inner ear and there's the fluid in your inner ear that gets all messed up but this implies that the fluid in our inner ear has nothing to do with our sense of vertigo because it's not like we're moving around in vr our eyes are just seeing well it, it still does because what's happening is you get sick when there's a mismatch between what your inner ear is telling you and what your eyes are seeing around you Oh, and so I experienced vertigo once uh, just randomly. Uh, I got like I was at work. I started to get a little dizzy, a little lightheaded. Uh, I took off work early. I got home and immediately started vomiting. Uh, and I just got uh, my brain was not. Um, Computing. It, it, right. It saw a difference between what my inner ear was telling it and what my eyes were seeing. And it said, something's seriously wrong here. You need help. And and so let's get rid of the poison in your body and everything else. And so it starts vomiting. It starts sweating. <laughs> does all the things. Right? Thanks, and, body. <laughs> totally. Thanks. Thanks, body. So we went to the urgent care, and I thought I was dying and all this stuff. And she put my head like this and did the thing. And I'm like, yeah, you got vertigo, and it'll probably go away in a couple hours. And by that time, it was mostly gone. Yeah. Uh, this is the opposite, but same experience. Your your inner ear is saying, yeah, everything's fine, and your eyes and your your brain processing all your visual cortex stuff says. No, no, no! You are on a roller coaster right now. Something's wrong with your body. Not telling you that correctly. So let's get sick about that. And, and so, it, when there's a mismatch, uh, your brain really. So let's do something out. not helpful. Vomit. <laughs> well, one of the main causes of that disorientation is ingesting a poison uh, like a poisonous plant or or something and so oh. it's it's like oh we have we have a toxin in our body we need to get rid of that so that we don't die here that makes sense other yeah. that makes more sense than the uh primitive human brain being wired for <laughs> roller coasters <laughs> uh. we should be though oh my goodness um yeah so you, we got some news and stuff 
we got some news and stuff. Oh, uh, so there is a documentary, uh, Michael, who is Colin's older brother, uh, told me about, and it is called uh, Feels Good Man. And it is an entire documentary following the story of Pepe the Frog. And it it follows the creator the creator of the little comic and how he was just some stupid little underground. Um, I believe it's it's you can rent it on Amazon Prime, I believe. Um, but it follows him. You know, he's just this underground cartoonist, you know, doesn't care about politics. Like doesn't it's just an artist that just wants to draw stupid, weird frog things and how that was co-opted by 4chan, of course, and then how that became a symbol and then even breaking into the reality of the debate between um, it was like one of Hillary Clinton's town hall meetings or something like that. Right. And someone in the back shouts Pepe the Frog or whatever. And so it follows that and it follows this creator being swallowed by this like it just <laughs> impossible perfect storm of nonsense that has now thrust his stupid little badly drawn frog character into this thing and how he tries to reclaim that. And, and it, one of the, one of the th uh, people in it is, was one of, it was, um, I believe uh, Trump's like social media or something like that director on the last campaign and how, you know, they took advantage of it and like they were they're out for and he basically said we're out for anything that just causes discord and for people not to believe reality. And he just said that he's <laughs> like, this is a character that is not a white supremacy thing that we're just telling everyone is a white supremacy thing so that nobody knows what the reality is. And I was like, oh, I, everybody's going on and on about the social dilemma. But that's the thing that just like haunted me. Wow. But I mean, other than that, and that's, you know, a very, very small part of it. But just right. this whole story of how this impossible thing happened and how he's trying to reclaim his life back. Because it's like whenever you Google his name, it's like white supremacist or whatever. And now he's <laughs> Pepe the Frog is listed in the Anti-Defamation League's symbols of white supremacy and like his oh, journey to try to get that over to and like everything about it is just so insane but i mean it just the document is really really great it's called feels good man <laughs> that's amazing so, yeah, totally totally check that out if you, if you have the chance so you can um you can buy the soundtrack on vinyl oh nice uh, yeah that seems very rules. on brand for the creator of pepe the frog <laughs> Oh Who actually the, the creator of Pepe the Frog looks exactly like Toby from The Office, the okay. guy that even the guy that Steve Carell hates and just kind of that sad sack. They are like exactly the same people. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but in, in good news, I am about two or three three and a half weeks away from getting a thousand subscribers on my r.i.p vhs channel <laughs> how absurd is that how how many did you have before it got shut down the first or second time uh the first time it got shut down i was around 400 oh so nice so yes i now have to think of a You're video famous. I know. I have to think of a video for to make for a thousand subscribers. I'm busy trying to spitball ideas for my R.I.P. VHS character. So if you're not a subscriber, it's a chance that you could be the thousandth subscriber. So subscribe now. <laughs> I'll just sit there and wait for the 9.99 to show up. 
Exactly, and then swoop in there. I was my own six six sixth subscriber. I was like, "Oh, that's right, Portland at the movies hasn't subscribed yet," so I was our own, my own six hundred sixty sixth subscriber. Um, Is there a way to tell on your side who was the hundredth or thousandth or ten thousand? It's possible. Um, I don't know that it pings me every. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. I have to look at the email account because sometimes people will let their subscriptions be public so everyone can see them, but then some people want it to be private, so I don't know how all that mm. um, goes in. But, it's yeah, it's it's very possible that I might be able to check that out. So throw a party for them. <laughs> um, but let's move on to some news, if you don't have anything else. I We're have nothing else. Busy complaining about the state of the world. Um, Banksy, who is... I would almost I would almost say my favorite artist outside of like Salvador Dali, you know, being sure. a you know, a legit quote unquote artist, but Banksy is indirectly responsible for my YouTube page. Because yep. uh around let's see, when Exit Through the Gift Shop, which is one of my favorite documentaries of all time, which is about Banksy and then this other artist, uh, which is just so good, but that kind of street level silhouette, you know, underground art scene on the streets. I've just always been fascinated with it. And, and I loved Banksy's stuff up till then. And then was just super um, motivated to make things. And so I started messing around with stencils and I would make shirts. And then I was like, oh, I should make comic books into notebooks. And then I was like, oh, but VHS boxes fit better than, you know, and then through that down to I've got all these random VHS tapes. Now what do I do with them? So because of and uh, the piece of art that we're going to be talking about here of Banksy's, which is the protester throwing flowers, um, is my business is on my business card and he's throwing my logo instead of <laughs> flowers. So I have stolen directly from Banksy, but um, Banksy loses a battle with a greeting card firm over his flower bomber tra trademark. So this is in North Yorkshire. A, uh, uh, a company challenged the artist's right to a trademark of the image of the protester throwing a bunch of flowers. The European Union Trademark Office had thrown out Banksy's trademark and accused him of being, quote, ins inconsistent with honest practices when he tried to protect it. Um, so for a trademark to be valid, the holder must sell goods using the image and Banksy does not sell anything with his art on it. So, um, and this goes into, this is a conversation that I believe if mm. Heidi Lauman is listening, only she will be fascinated with this because it's the <laughs> difference between copyright and trademark when it comes to things like this. So he has a... The authorities said that he had filed the uh, the trademark in order to avoid using copyright laws, which are separate. Um, and if he filed a copyright, he would have to tell people who he is and reveal his true identity, which, of course, he does not. I mean, that's Banksy's whole thing is nobody knows who he is. Um, so he first sprayed that picture on a wall in Jerusalem in 2005. Uh, and his company applied for the trademark in 2014. It must be used within the first five years, but Banksy hasn't sold merchandise or other items until this other company challenged the trademark in 2019. So um, because they're saying he didn't have Banksy didn't have any intention of using the trademark, um, he was doing it only as an attempt to not lose it, which apparently you're not allowed to do. 
Um, huh. So Banksy has chosen to remain anonymous and for the most part to paint graffiti on other people's property without their permission rather than to print it on canvases or his own property, the suit said. He also chose to be very vocal regarding his disdain for intellectual property rights. And they quote one of Banksy's own books, which he says, copyright is for losers. <laughs> uh, Banksy has always taken that view that copyright is for losers uh, and if he ever wanted to contest somebody using an image he would usually re need to rely on that copyright So, um, but anyone can file for a trademark and so Banksy's corporate entity filed for the trademark for his art use and that trademark can last forever in perpetual monopoly whereas copyrights only last a certain period of time but um, so because he s does not want to um let his identity out but he also i i didn't really see what this company wanted to use it for I, it was like a bank or something like terrible <laughs> so um yeah he's unable to stop it because and they do make a good point it's like he's graffitiing the sides of buildings like you can't right like let's <laughs> either you're an anarchist or you're not you can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> when um yeah, we lived in the apartment that that was part of that film, uh, Exit Through the Gift, oh, gift Shop. Oh, that's right. Uh, Nick's room was the wall that he spray-painted uh, wow. the rat on that uh, said, I'm, I'm waking up and I'm fine. How about you? Or something like that. Yeah. Um, and um, they literally removed the out sur outside surface of the wall and sold it at auction for $5 yeah. million. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Well, it, he did that great thing too of selling his, um, that one, there's the the little girl yeah. that's holding the balloon that's shaped like a heart and it just immediately shredded itself yeah. upon yeah, sale we, at auction. We think that that was all staged, uh, it, it turns out, but but I mean, brilliant, I brilliant art, like art, piece yeah. in the whole experience from start to finish um yeah it's fantastic but yeah i mean yeah. he does have a history even with that of saying like this corporate art sucks copyright is for losers art is for everyone um <coughs> so well this is uh, kind of a pared down article uh it's always hard when you find an article that's interesting but it's written more as like a um, like a piece you'd see on 2020 where they just like tell it more as a story instead of a series of facts. So I've tried to cut this down, but it's about a hillbilly brigade that saved an Oregon town from the raging wire, uh, wildfire. So it's all about um, this hillbilly brigade of about uh, after uh, Malala, what was really threatened by the fires, was completely abandoned um, by any help just because the fires were so huge. I mean, everybody was stretched thin. You can't be everywhere at once. And so Malala was not one of those places that the fire department was coming to save. And so this is all about how the town just jumped together. And uh, it says um, there was about 1,200 in all who came to uh, fight the state's biggest fire. They organized and deployed themselves with little or no help from a small and overwhelmed local fire department. Uh, we were left on our own to stop this, said a 36-year-old uh, West who was part of this. I cut out a lot of these names, so sorry about that. Um, it was clear nobody was coming to save us, so we had to save ourselves. Um, there just uh, The town of Malala itself only has 13 firefighters and 33 volunteers. 
Um, and the, but the hillbilly br brigade, quote, improvised and turned their pickups into fire engines on the fly. They put stock tanks in beds and used pumps to put out hot spots. Um, let's see. Dairy farmers brought water trucks that they usually uh, used for their cattle and loggers had smaller water tanks. Uh, they set about ripping a 20 foot wide fire line, uh, 20 foot, 20 foot wide fire lines in the forest with a bulldozer. Um, to keep everything away and uh, they were all able to communicate to each other like go down to where Brian killed that first buck take your crew there and like all of that shorthand for like where to be and they did uh, save save the town of Malala so I thought that was a great story of how community comes together to to fight for itself and to be a part of a solution which is great to yeah, totally. Uh, I, I I know that there were also militia there to prevent looting and um, uh, to try and hold down the legal side of things. <laughs> to stop uh, Antifa from starting more fires. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they also refer to Malala as a uh, a mountain hamlet. I saw that, and I'm like, well, maybe I've never been to Malala then, because I remember driving through, and there's, I don't remember it being in the mountains. There's no mountains. There's no hamlet. <laughs> I think they were thinking of maybe Silverton, <laughs> right? Or uh, what? W where was the the movie that we re recently reviewed? Uh, oh, Oakland, Oakland, and Clack, Rose, Clack, Roseburg, or something. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, good. Um, Ring's latest security camera is a drone <laughs> that flies around inside your house. <laughs> my dream. Oh my gosh, my nightmare. The new <laughs> Always Home Cam is an autonomous <laughs> drone that flies around inside your home, giving you a perspective of any room you want when you're not home. Once it's done flying, the Always Home Cam returns to its dock to charge its battery. It's expected to cost 250 bucks. The Always Home Cam is a small autonomous drone with a camera. <laughs> the Always Home Cam is fully autonomous, but owners can tell it what path it can take and where it can go. When you first get the device, you build a map of your home for it to follow, which allows you to ask it for specific viewpoints such as the kitchen or bedroom. <laughs> the drone can be commanded to fly on demand or programmed to fly when a disturbance is detected by a linked ring alarm system ring says the drone makes an audible noise when flying so it's obvious when footage has been recorded <laughs> I, it, like drones are so loud i think that's what everyone is forgetting with all this like oh home delivery is going to be those things are and just the wind and like they are just in order to get any amount of payload capabilities it's going to have to be the size of a lawnmower, you know, and and just as loud. I always like when you see like the beautiful drone, you know, this beautiful drone footage, and then you turn on the sound. And it's just like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! <laughs> the, the, the peaceful wedding shots as it swoops <laughs> down. Like when it, there's there's like panning shots as it swoops down over the audience, and I'm I'm like. I guarantee that was that was like straight. No one could hear uh, straight anything. out of Top Gun. Uh, you know, <laughs> request a, fl close a flyby. Fly 
Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I guess they're trying to sell this ring thing uh, as a, so you don't have to have multiple cameras, but I, it seems like that's both over solving and under solving a problem. Like if you're, uh Oh, what's going on in my bedroom, instead of just switching to the bedroom can, you have to like undock your drone and try to fly it with your smartphone (laughs) around walls and down a hallway and the dog is trying to attack it <laughs> anyway it just i don't like this at all and if there is an intruder like y- they'll just hit it out of the no, air like, throw a pillow at it <laughs> press the button <laughs> just unplug the dog so anyway i i doubt this will make any uh inroads as a thing that people actually want and then calling it the always home cam <laughs> uh, well here's a little uh, a little a longer article about something that fascinates me and i'm hoping one of these one of these shows we can get an actual Crow. expert on birds and crows in because crows fascinate me like octopuses fascinate me because they're so smart so here's more uh more proof that crows possess higher intelligence um long thought that was only a human attribute so uh New research unveiled in science. They did not italicize that as to connotate that that's a <laughs> magazine. So just unveiled in it's, science. It's, it's capitalized. <laughs> that's true. <clears throat> it found that crows know what they know and can ponder the content of their own mind, a manifesta- manifestation of higher intelligence and analytical thought, long thought to be the sole providence of human beings and a few other higher mammals. So a second study also in science. Uh, looked into unprecedented detail the neural anatomy of pigeons and barn owls, finding hints to the basis of their intelligence and likely applies to crows, too. So together, the two papers show that the intelligence slash consciousness are grounded in connectivity and uh, activity patterns in the neurons. So they to test whether <laughs> it has been a good week for bird brains, says crow expert John <laughs> Marsluff. From the University of Washington, <laughs> who is beyond, he's over the moon finally being interviewed for any sort of yeah. science thing. <laughs> um, so to test whether crows can know that, and this gets a little fuzzy, so maybe you can help me unpack this. To test whether crows know and can analyze the contents of their brain, they train two birds to peck at a red or blue target on a panel depending on whether they saw a faint light. So they kept verifying the rule with the birds told what color meant what. And it says red, poking red equals I saw the light, or blue says I saw it only after a flash. So that's the part I'm not quite certain of what they're doing. But I think basically they are, are taught to do something based on a rule that keeps on changing. So that required the, clo- the crows named Glenn and Ozzy to keep monitoring their brains. They had a second or two to figure out what they had seen by choosing the corresponding target. So um, apparently they must have put one of those little hoods on the crows that tests brain waves. 
which is a hilarious thought because it said the birds, uh, when the crows reported having seen to faint light, sensory neurons were active between the flash and the birds pecking the color that meant, yes, I saw that. If the crows did not perceive the same uh, faint stimulus, the nerve cells remained silent and, silent and the birds pecked, no, I didn't see anything. So their brain activity systematically changed depending on whether or not they had seen uh, a dim flash. So all of that, which is kind of confusing, um, but basically they're showing that they're remembering what they had seen previously. They're not just acting like, I know this lever gives me pellets or whatever. They're kind of going through the contents of their brain um, to, to figure that out. So in the sense, they have a, sub a specific subjective experience that they can communicate uh, besides crows, this kind of neurobiological evidence for sensory consciousness only exists in humans and macaque monkeys. Uh, a second study looked into unprecedented detail at the neuroanatomy of pigeons and barn owls, finding hints to the basis of their intelligence that likely uh, applies to the uh, crows, too. So that enables pigeons to go home, to count, and be as trainable as monkeys. Um but e crows are even more intelligent, uh, intelligent and shown that they can do uh, solve actual puzzles like the Aesop's, Aesop's Fable Challenge, which is where they take like a, um, what do they call, what do they call those in science? The, is it just a long beaker? Is that the totally round one? Um, the, yeah. gra no, graduated cylinder. Graduated cylinder, of. exactly. Okay, so like they'll put a walnut at the bottom of that that they can't reach. Um, and they'll float some water in there and the birds, the crows will figure out that if they drop stones into that, it will raise the water <clears throat> level until they can get the food. And that's something that kids generally can't do until the age of seven. So, um, birds are at least seven years old intelligent. <laughs> so nice. anyway, I saw that you were poking around in the next story. <laughs> I, I was. I was Which trying is pretty to. great. So why don't you that, – that's the full story that I found, and there's a little bit more that I haven't shown here. So <laughs> I, I, was, I was looking up because this is uh, scant of detail. Um, <laughs> I just stumbled upon the headline, and, of course, I just kept an open tab until I, com until I compiled all my news stories. Well, and... well, the bonus is, is if you search for this title, it brings up the article – and the picture in the art article is from the movie The Thing. So, <laughs> a, def a defecting Russian scientist has uh, surfaced with a mind-bending account of what really occurred when he and his colleagues went missing for five days in a mysterious lake 12,366 feet beneath the Arctic ice. Russian scientists claim... Claims team battled creature under the Antarctic ice. So Dr. Anton Padalka uh, told authorities in Switzerland that the researchers discovered a bizarre and deadly life form dubbed Organism 46B, a highly intelligent octopus-like creature that claimed the lives of three of the team members. So that is the full article. <laughs> And I thought, well, maybe there's a click more or a login to find out. That is the totality of the article. And so after I read that, I was like, what? what's going on with this news site called Rumble? And the first thing I see is that it was published by someone named UFO Mania. The truth is out uh, there. Yes. And then I looked at the side articles that they list. And the first one is, 
Miley Cyrus caught shape-shifting. <laughs> the second one is scientists in Siberia's, Siberia when... dig straight into hell. <laughs> so it's like, well, perhaps this is not the most reputable of news sites. And I thought, well, that's a good lesson in when this when you're reading a news story, how to use contextual information <laughs> to perhaps fill in some of the blanks. The blanks. Mom, it disturbs me when you refer to the 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 Weekly World News as the paper. The paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss the Weekly World News. <laughs> Another casualty. Well, another good thing to um, to remember when you are reading articles and looking at opinion pieces, someone uh, made the comment a long time ago that if there is ever a question in the headline, the answer is almost always no. So like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Will this save us all? No, it, no, it will not. No, definitely not. And so the, the title of this, Fountain of Youth. Is a fecal transplant? <laughs> so no. Uh, no, it is not. Although you do have my attention, article. So this is from Norwich, United Kingdom. Researchers say fecal transplants not only affect your gut health, they can affect your brain too. An international team finds fecal transplants from older to younger mice impacts the learning and memory abilities of the recipient. By altering, by altering the gut microbiome of the younger mice, researchers say they began to act more like their older donors. These changes included some of the same cognitive impairments older brains suffer from. Quote, research has shown that the aging process may be linked with age-related changes in our gut microbi microbiota, said uh, Dr. David Vowser of the University of East Anglia. Or Anglia? I don't know. Anglia. No idea. Wherever that is. Uh, so I'm glad you asked, Mark. What is a fecal transplant? Todd, what's a fecal transplant? <laughs> what is a fecal transplant. Well, simply put, fecal transplants involve taking stool from a healthy person and placing it in the colon of someone else. This is very, uh, this is very Go human on. centipede. Go on. This is very what? Uh, very the human centipede. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> you just wanted me to say that again. Um, I mean, I don't know what that movie is. Uh <clears throat> So in humans, the recipient is usually someone who is very sick and could have a bacterial infection. Since the gut contains both good and bad bacteria, using antibiotics can sometimes get rid of the helpful ingredients your body needs to stay healthy. So using the bacteria from a healthy donor's poop adds in the right materials to properly balance the human microbiome. The procedure can help patients during serious conditions with uh, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and cirrhosis. So what does this have to do with your brain? After implementing the fecal material into younger adult mice, I say, in a perfect summation of what the year 2020 has felt like, <laughs> uh, researchers studied how the transplant affected anxiety, exploratory behavior, and memory in each of the uh, patients, which I guess they're calling mice patients. Uh, the research shows younger mice don't display dis significant changes in terms of anxiety or behavior, but they did begin to show problems with spatial learning and memory. The young mice had trouble, uh, trouble running through a maze test, just like older and mentally impaired mice do. So when examining that further, the team found that uh, alterations in the proteins, which have ties to neurotransmissions, uh, which um, are changes in the hippocampus, which is the area that forms new memories and helps control learning and emotions. So um, 
they're saying this could, you know, lead to reversing some of the processes of aging, whether it has to do with memory or whatever. But an interesting, an interesting thing to think about. And I didn't really think of the when you take antibacterial stuff uh, internally, that it wipes out everything, not just bad stuff and how that does make sense to take uh, good stuff from people who are healthy to let it deal on its own. But Anyway, there's our story about fecal transplants. <laughs> I love poop stories. Um, uh, yeah, so th- this one's this one's a little heavy a bummer, for us yeah. in the in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, Les Schwab Tires agrees to sell to a California investment firm. Yeah. So Les Schwab Tires on Tuesday announced an agreement to sell the family-owned Oregon-based company to California investment firm Meritage Group. We hate them now. Uh, (laughs) The decision to sell has uh, always been about securing the long-term success of the company, said the CEO. Uh, Meritage Group is based in San Francisco. Uh, The move marks a big change for the tire empire as ownership has stayed within the family of founder Les Schwab, who died in 2007, through its decades of success. The company started up in Prineville in 1952 and has grown to more than 500 stores across 10 states and employs more than 7,000 people. Its corporate headquarters are now in Bend. Um, they do have a huge facility in Prineville that you uh, drive by. And it's like That's funny. That's uh, Les Schwab is one of those things that like, if, if you were born and raised in the Northwest, it's just like, just like McDonald's or whatever, but I yeah. remember moving up here and I was like, "What kind of name is Les Schwab?" Les Schwab, and that's so what's, weird. What's this about free beef? What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, until 2011, uh, uh, and starting literally like in the 40s, um, Les Schwab, when you had got new tires during a specific period of the year, they would have a free beef promotion. And if you got new tires, you got a bunch of beef. That's <laughs> and, so weird. Did you ever weird. do? Did you ever I, get that deal? I never got that deal. Me I either. Did, never, never did. But I, I have uh, been a customer of Les Schwab um, many times, and uh, they've always been incredibly friendly and uh, great customer service and uh, a good Pacific Northwest company. And I'm sure that 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 spirit is. Um, going to die. <laughs> going to die uh, <laughs> was part of the conversations in the the merger and acquisition. It'll be interesting because yeah, they're kind of like Dutch brother. They're like the Dutch brothers of tires. How they're yeah. known like for everyone's always running out to your car and they're always happy and like they're going and quick get your tires filled you know filled all the way up and and uh, free tire patches and all that and they are just known for that really good customer service. It'll be interesting to see what happens if anything. Um, I do like how you skip the most boring of the paragraph where they describe the new uh, owning group, the investment firm, as like the most boring thing in the world. Meritage Group is an investment advisor registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission with assets under the manage- under management in excess of $10 billion. <laughs> like, I feel so connected to this company now. <laughs> I can't wait until that group uh. comes running out to my car. <laughs> You know, and I, I wanted, I, I want to believe that we're now just seeing it more, and it's not really happening more. But this seems to be happening more in in my experience. Things like the um, uh, the 
local grocery store. The uh, I can't think of the name. Fred Meyer. Uh, no, the no. the local local one. The that just got sold to. Um, oh, I just I'll I'll think about it in in just Trader second. Trader Joe's. No, that that one's based Whole in Foods? Pasadena. No. Um, Scary Bart from where we used to work. Market, uh, something market. Market of uh, toys. No. Um, there's market with just an exclamation point after it. <laughs> My brain. How much can fried. I vamp so that I don't have to edit any of this out? <laughs> um, they were just a Portland company. Uh, they were a uh, Portland company, and they okay. were just sold to a Korean multi-conglomerate uh, uh, everything. Um, uh, I I keep on... It was a grocery store? It is still a grocery store. Um, and... <laughs> Jesus. I'm so stupid. I'm so sorry. Uh, stand by. We are going to... I'm uh, going to go to the bathroom a... now, then, okay. <laughs> while you find that. <laughs> All right, everybody. You're here with me. And Todd is gone. Uh, let's see. This new seasons, new seasons market was uh, uh, a locally owned company. And then they got traded, uh, sold to a North Korean company. Uh, but they were mostly employee owned and that got changed and all this stuff. Um, so new seasons, good company now owned by Koreans. He had a Stockholm syndrome. My own seasons. For- oh, right. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, see, I didn't know that, though. Yeah, they were local. Now they're owned by Koreans. <laughs> it sounds so pejorative. <laughs> <laughs> the Koreans. <coughs> they're owned by the Koreans. <laughs> Winners, oh. best picture. <laughs> Taking all our jobs and our Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I there, there's a, a little YouTube clip that um, I dropped in. Uh, oh, it's not linkable, so you have to copy and paste that right after, right after that last story under the title for this week's show. Um, so I thought uh, something happened that I never thought would happen. And that is I learned something from my VHS channel. (laughs) And so I found um, uh, another one of these, like a guide to computing like that you got in the eighties or nineties to show you how to do basic computers. And it was just a boring box with just regular letters printed on it. Like how I I forget the title, even now this movie, but even the title of this little video is like the most benign and boring video title. But it is the most insane, like, guide to computing I've ever seen. It involves reenactments and black box theater. And at some point, this lady, they're following the story of this lady. And it was made in the mid to early 80s, I think, because this lady is freaking out that her company is starting to bring in computers. And everyone else at the office has had a two-week head start in learning the computers and she's having this like uh, midlife crisis mental breakdown 
like descending into this depressed state because all these people are so far ahead. She doesn't think she can do it. Her boss asked her to make a make a copy of a disc, and so she put it in the photocopy machine and photocopied the disc and brought it back. And everyone at the office laughed at her, including Jones, who was going to take her promotion if she doesn't learn computers. <laughs> then this lady, literally in this how to compute video, goes to hell and <laughs> has hallucinations about the devil and... Anyway, so that's all. This, this video is insane. I'm so excited about this. But there's there's a part of it. Oh, have you not seen the video? I have not seen the video. It's amazing. You have to go. Uh, what's the title? Actually, now that you're looking at it, I don't have it pulled uh, up. In everything front of me. you need to know about basic computer literacy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so if you'd like to see the whole video yourself, go to uh, YouTube.com/ripvhs and find that video. It's uh, maybe a seven or eight or nine videos down. Um, but I we I pulled a scene here, and it's this lady who's uh, been depressed, and she can't, she's not functioning, and having this crisis, having this uh, conversation with her husband, who is trying to encourage her that um, that the the wife can do it. So, Mark, why don't you play uh, where where I have it started out there? This is the wife talking to the husband. Everyone's job performance is going to be linked to how well we use these machines. Is this anxiety about job security or is it just panic? Well, they say if you don't keep up with technology, technology will replace you. Well, if... I'm too old for this. God, what if I punch the wrong button and it burns up right there on my desk? Maybe. Why is it that men understand computers so easily and women don't? Wait, just hold on there. I saw an article about that very thing today. You're wrong about women not understanding computers. There was a woman in the 1840s who worked with computers. The Department of Defense even named a language after her. I didn't even know machines could talk. Ada Byron King, Countess of Lovelace. Analytical engine. Hmm. Says she was quite a mathematician, too. Well, I am not. Still, if a countess could conceive of computers over a hundred years ago, that should be some kind of encouragement for her. Right, that, that could be enough for now. <laughs> so, but what if right I press the wrong button and it explodes <laughs> on my desk? So, yeah, it's hard to describe the mental state of that woman who kind of looks like Sissy Spacek a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. in in the midst of a descent into madness but uh that got me curious because i'm like what in the world i love how the husband's like wait a minute dear i was just reading i was just I reading in this newspaper how women are not retarded <laughs> 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 which is amazing uh so yes the 80s view of i know of you can't read but let me uh <laughs> let me tell you about it <laughs> So I tried, uh, I tried looking that person up, and and um, it's one of those things where, because of different marriages and different uh, royalty structures in England, the name that they said was different than the name that she's kind of known for now. But I wanted to talk about this mysterious woman from the 1840s who quote worked with computers. Um, this is actually a real thing, and it's not like 
Um, I had never heard of this, and so I was kind of blown away. And and you said that you haven't heard of this person. Um, it's not like if you go to YouTube and search out her name is uh, Ada Lovelace, uh, Ada King, the Countess of Lovelace, but she's mostly known as Ada Lovelace. So like, there's a ton of uh, good YouTube documentaries, both short and long. I watched this like an hour long presentation by this this 60 year old British female professor talking on and on about <laughs> she was not a good public speaker, but just went on anyway. Um, so she's not like necessarily forgotten, but I don't think it's really well known, especially for her time period. So I want to talk about this woman and why they call her. Um, uh, she's often referred to as the first computer programmer. So uh, her name was Augusta Ada King. And she actually was the uh, daughter of um, she was the daughter of uh, Lord Byron, who was a famous uh, English poet of the time. And um, it, she was the only legitimate child of Lord Byron, who is known for um, being a oh, what would you what would you call it? not honoring the vows of his marriage. Right. <laughs> uh, and all of his other children were born out of wedlock to other women. Um, and he, Lord Byron, uh, separated from the wife and Ada's mother uh, when she was eight and moved to Greece and died in the Greek War of Independence when Ada was eight. Um, and Ada's mother was really kind of um, bitter and they kind of speculate now Lord, if Lord Byron had... Um, uh, mental issues or struggled with depression or like all of those things that many people do, especially artist type people do. And so because she didn't want her daughter to suffer from those maladies, she really uh, pushed um, uh, Ada into uh, math and science and logic in an effort to prevent her from developing uh, some of those things on her father's side. Now her mother, um, because Lord Byron, of course, was a lord, um, her mother, too, was also like a woman of privilege and a woman of wealth and was um, one of her uh, charities was building schools and was very much into providing education and providing schools, uh, even for women at the time. So her mom really pushed her into that. Um, while she was growing up, Ada was often ill. Uh, she experienced headaches throughout her life, starting with uh, when she was a child that obscured her vision. Uh, she was paralyzed after a bout with measles and had to walk with crutches. Um, but by the time she was 17, she kind of um, was out of, uh, even though she had headaches and stuff for the rest of her life, uh, she didn't have a lot of those other more major issues. And she was presented as the popular belle of the season, in part because she had such a brilliant mind. Uh, some of her acquaintances were uh, Michael Faraday and Charles Dickens. Um, and she, she married William VIII Baron King. Uh, in 1835 uh, and had three children in three different homes. So even though she, uh, through her childhood and through her teens, like one of the things as a teen, she wanted to build basically an airplane. She's like, what if you get this horse-shaped vehicle with big wings that go on the side and through steam power, you're able to flap the wings and you would be able to fly through you know, use this as a an aerocraft or whatever they called them before aeroplanes were invented. So she was always uh, tinkering and she was really known for um, having a, a super brilliant mind uh, as well as, as um, some of the other things. But um, she raised her three children. Well, she had three children and, and kind of had them raised by some other people and would send them off and stuff like that so she can concentrate 
on uh, some of her more uh, other pursuits like math and stuff like that. Um, she also flirted with a lot of scandals. She had a, a quote, relaxed approach to extramarital relationships uh, <laughs> leading to rumors of affairs. Uh, and she had a love of gambling. And so uh, one of the, one of the things, the through lines of, of her studies is, um, is uh, algorithms, which were kind of all a slave to at this point, but was still kind of an emerging field of practice back then before, because I mean, up until then, you don't have calculators. You don't have computers to do really complex mathematics. So at the point, I mean, a human brain can only get so far, and there's kind of a cap on the different things that you can do. Um, so she did She did try to uh, figure out an algorithm, a mathematical model for successful horse uh, horse race betting, but that went disastrously wrong and left her thousands of pounds in debt, uh, forcing her to admit it all to her husband. Um, but through kind of all those kind of weird uh, personal life things, her professional life is kind of the things that she's remembered for and her work with this guy named Charles Babbage. Now, do you know who Charles Babbage is, Mark? I know the name. <clears throat> he, I know the uh, name, but I, I don't. He, he built and, and kind of, or actually proposed to build uh, something called the analytical machine and a difference machine. And they're kind of hard to wrap your head around because it was basically they, they have one scale model, but like these are basically like city block size steam powered machines that are full of disks that have 10 holes in them that align in different ways to produce different results using movement and gears and compression like all of these things powered by steam so basically it is a city block size calculator run by steam that can be controlled by punch cards and so um charles babbage was working on this and like drew out the plans and it all worked and can be proven to work but after a while funding ran out and then it kind of soured the relationship between him and england at the time so he built like one model of it that could do like a very limited amount of things. And I think that's the picture I kept sawing, uh, seeing. So if you look up either difference, uh, let's see, what is it called? An analytical, en analytical engine and a difference engine. And they're kind of two different things, but they'll kind of give you an idea of kind of what they look like. Um, but Charles Babbage is the one who was working on that. And um, he, uh, Lovelace, Ada Lovelace started kind of, uh, he knew or she knew him through, you know, all her various contacts and started um, being mentored by Charles Babbage, who was just fascinated by her intellect and analytical skills. Uh, one of the things, she kind of had another mentor at some point when she was younger who, uh, and he was like one of the upper echelon mathematics teachers at whatever university was big at the time for mathematics and like this guy totally recognized ada lovelace's proclivity for being able to figure this out and her and and ask questions that opened up new fields of thought and like basically said that you know if only she were a man this would revolutionize everything but it's not and so i cannot teach her too bad about how women are dumb <laughs> which is insane. Ugh. But uh, Charles Babbage, thankfully, didn't seem to have uh, any problems with that. So um, 
So Charles Babbage would write papers and send them around about these, uh, the analytical engine and the difference engine, these just giant, giant calculating, computing machines. And uh, it was Ada Lovelace's job to, um, during a nine-month period, to translate that uh, into Italian. And um, as she's translating this, um, I believe it's a three-page paper that she was translating, she ended up with a 30-page paper because she had so many notes and clarifications and like just in-depth knowledge to fill out Charles Babbage's just original paper that it was 10 times as long as the original <laughs> paper. Um, so yeah, or three times as long, I'm sorry. So in complete detail, a lot of these notes said a method, a, ma a method for calculating a sequence of Bernoulli numbers using the analytical machine, uh, which might have run correctly had it ever been built. Um, so like I said, it never was built, but because of this thing, and I'm not really sure what the Bernoulli numbers are, but it's a I believe a series of, of formulas that depend a lot on which variables are uh, input into it, uh, which makes it kind of hard to get a full look at the possibilities when there's so many different things to input. Um, but I'm not, it looks like you're looking that up now, Mark, what those are. Do you have any, do you have anything over on your end? I do. Uh, they, uh, the Bernoulli numbers are a sequence of rational numbers which occur frequently in number theory, theory. Uh, so they appear and can be defined by the Taylor series expansions of <laughs> tangent and hyperbolic tangent fun functions. So, yeah, it, something or other I then, will never under, understand. And then there's like piles of <laughs> of uh, <laughs> equations. Uh, yeah, it's so I have uh, a feeling the Bernoulli numbers were at the time probably the thing of if we can get. If we can figure out how to crack this in a meaningful way and implement it, that I mean, Bernoulli, like the way I the way I know him is for his his fluid dynamics and his um, flight principles that keep airplanes up and all of that. So I have a feeling Bernoulli was probably known for quite a bit. Um, but she basically yeah. um, she basically wrote a program, and there's a little image. Well, it's super small in the notes, but. It's kind of a flowchart image of how this Bernoulli numbers uh, could be broken down by the machine and is basically showing all of the different variables. It shows a repeating process, it kind of a, the go-to-10 aspect of it. Um, it shows a line-by-line -line, uh, way of, of programming this thing because while she's working on this translation of this machine that uses punch cards, she notices that the way people are starting to weave rugs and tapestries aren't just by hand anymore. They are using punch cards. This fascinates me too, because I don't know how possibly this could work. Using punch cards to determine the pattern that's woven into rugs. So you put that into the weaving machine and then it just does that through punch cards. So she sees punch card numbers, one through 10, don't need to just stand for on or off, you know, one or zero, this or that, it can be used to represent concepts. This one zero one 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 can represent this other thing that is not just a number and not just a math sequence. Um, so in her notes, she emphasized the difference between the anical, uh, blah, blah, blah. She realized the potential of the device to extend far beyond mere number crunching. And so she wrote this in her notes. 
the analytical engine might act upon other things besides number, where objects found whose mutual fundamental relations could be expressed by that of abstract science of operations and which should be also susceptible to adaptations to the action of the operating notation of the mechanism of the engine. So blah, blah, blah. For instance, the fundamental relationship of pitch, this is interesting, of pitch sounds in the science of harmony and of musical composition um, the engine might compose elaborate and scientific pieces of music of any degree of complexity or extent. So basically using like the piano has 88 notes or whatever, but it can create anything out of that using all of these different. That's how kind of she envisioned uh, the end step being um, Walter Isaacson, who's a writer. He wrote the Steve Jobs book. Uh, he ascribed Ada's insight regarding the application of computing uh, to any process based on logical symbols to have an, uh, and he noted that when she saw the textile things weaving those patterns that she knew that those patterns can be more than more than what numbers just represent. So if those numbers represented other things like letters, musical notes, and, and things like that, then you can manipulate the symbols to stand for other things. So... She did all that mostly through that paper for the analytical and the difference machines that Charles Babbage created. But because those things were never built and just funding never happened, it kind of went away and nobody talked about it for hmm. almost 100 years until Alan Turing, who is – I. I know nothing about, and I'm super fascinated because I keep hearing his names, his little things about what he did. So a market show Todd request topic for Alan <laughs> Turing. But as – oh, go ahead. No, no. Oh. I would love to talk about Turing. Uh, yeah. Like, so yeah. he's he's working on cracking what – they call the Enigma code. Is that what they called that? Uh, it was what, the Enigma machine. Machine. Uh, the code okay. of the, the Enigma, yeah. Yeah, so they were trying to crack the German codes, and so he built that machine to crack the code. And, I mean, he's also all basically the, the father of computing and artificial intelligence and stuff like that. And so he would um, – he was the one that started using Ada Lovelace's uh, notes and, and methods oh, and series and really utilized them in a way that wasn't possible 100 years before. Huh. Um, and so oh, there was something about artificial intelligence. Oh, they, it's interesting because the, the paper that Ada Lovelace wrote uh, has a dismissal of artificial intelligence as it relates to the machine. She wrote, the analytical engine has no pretensions whatsoever to originate anything. It can do whatever we know how to order it to perform, and it can follow analysis, but it has no power of anticipating any analytical relations uh, or truths. So um, that was that objection has been the subject of much debate. This says in rebuttal, for example, Alan, uh, Alan, by Alan Turing. But it's interesting her view of look. This is just a machine that does right. what we tell it to do. It's not thinking; it's performing right. a task. Right. So. Um, so <laughs> now you sound like the conversation that we always have with our clients <laughs> around <laughs> building websites. It's, it's not magically going to come up with things. Right. Uh, it's, it's a series of, of, uh, tasks that are being executed by us. Yes. yes. Same thing. So uh, Ada Lovelace died very young. She died at the age of 36 in 1852. She had uterine cancer, um, and 
It was probably exasperated by, what do they do? Bloodletting, because that's all they knew how to do back then. I was watching one YouTube video, and there was uh, the way they summed it up was, she died at the age of 86, slowly and painfully. Oh, so that sucks. Um, she lost contact with her husband after confessing something to him on the 30th of August, which is a couple months before she died. And whatever she said to him caused him to abandon her bedside. It was not known what she told him. But um, perhaps she confessed to some affairs or some other things that um, she she had done. So she was buried at her request next to her father. Now, um, she had not a big relationship with her father. The father was dead by the time she was eight, and she had never known him. She had only been warned against that artist temperament and that you know what we don't want you to believe and his philandering and there was some incestuous step philandering at some point like all of this crazy nonsense but then at the end of end of the day she asked to be uh buried next to uh next to him at the church Mm -hmm. of saint mary magdalene in nottinghamshire so very interesting and so there are some besides alan turing who obviously picked up her work there are some very specific uh um uh ways that uh, ada lovelace is remembered and one of them is the computer language ada which was created on behalf behalf of the united states De- department of defense um which was na- uh, later which was named after her um and there are still so yeah there's a whole computer program language used by uh the uh, defense department and i believe by nasa that is called ada and so like i said it's not like she's forgotten and it's not like i was why i watched this other i mean i love ted talks and all that but there i watched like their one it was a 15 minute one on ada lovelace by some some uh, uh female computer programmer I was like, oh, this will be good. Like, that's a very great perspective. The first f- seven minutes of this 15-minute presentation was all about um, how, how women aren't represented. Like, uh, all things that are worthy of note. But it's like, I don't – I want to learn about Ada Lovelace. Like, I'm right. not here for that. I'm here for, like, right. get on get on with it. And it just kept going on and on and on and on and about – how Ada Lovelace was erased because she was a woman and her, she was not valued because, and like, certainly, like I said, her, one of the mentors didn't want to take her on fully or whatever, but considering she was a woman in the 1850s and had free range of all of these scientists who respected her and worked with her and remembered her over her controversial lifestyle, which for a woman of that age to be known as being sexually promiscuous was like life ending. So the fact that she sort of transcended a lot of those things, and I, I think I think it's a I people say maybe that they don't remember her just because there was kind of a quiet period after she died and before her work was really picked up in a meaningful way, but I don't think that she was ignored, you know, because they didn't figure a woman's contributions were valid. There just wasn't a place to use them. I mean, right. she was talking about a steam-powered city-sized engine of discs that literally had a hard drive and a storage and a place for ram and a printer and an input and like what do you do with that when you're living in 1860 like we're busy having a civil war assassinating a president you know but um but yeah just very fascinating and and it's very funny to to have that be the result of that 
bonkers tape that I uploaded to my <laughs> to my channel. Yeah, I'm I'm now queuing up that to to watch that uh, after after this episode. I'm yeah, it's very much very much because the, then the rest of it after she goes to hell, she is revived and the ghost of Ada Lovelace then walks her through computer basics in a black box theater style using mirror. I mean, everything about this tape is like my favorite thing about finding these tapes because not only did we have the bad recreation in the beginning that was just top, but then it does the black box theater and then it does like this thing with a ghost. And I'm like, this is about computer. Like what, (laughs) what are we doing? So it's, it's amazing. It's like uh, going out to Hot Lake Hotel and getting, (laughs) getting the, the play, the play experience. Oh, uh, that was perfect. Amazing. So uh, yeah, that that is it. Ada Lovelace. Um, and I. Added oh oh oh! One sorry, one last thing yeah, here that I didn't notice until just today when I when I saw Ada Lovelace Day is an annual event celebrated on the second Tuesday of October. So it that it's coming up. That began in 2009, and the goal is to raise the profile of women in science, technology, engineering, and maths, this British article says, to create a new role model for girls and women in these fields. So coming up soon, Ada Lovelace Day. Uh, We will celebrate that in our household. (laughs) With VR somehow. With VR somehow. (laughs) With saber dance. (laughs) Beat saber. Beat saber, that's it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, anything else to add? Um, no. I um, I appreciate what uh, the LGBTQ community is doing to reclaim Proud Boys. Yes, I did have that uh, as a note at the beginning that you're my favorite Proud Boy. <laughs> uh, I added a picture of some other Proud Boys at the uh, at the end of the article. If you want to scroll down. Oh, nice. Oh, let me reopen that. I'm missing the joke. These look like giant rainbow dreidels. <laughs> they're they're a... boys. <laughs> oh, I get it. Uh-huh, see, uh, they're, they're they're, I've never seen a buoy out of water. That's strange. <laughs> I've never seen the bottom of one. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh-huh. I did see someone on, on Facebook, of course, complaining about how – because there's the – which I think is a – a reasonable thing to talk about how when you're using, you know, that's gay or like right. you, accusing a homophobe of being gay is the worst thing. But that's really only feeding into the stereotype that being gay is shameful and he should be ashamed of being gay. Like all of that, you know, all of that aside, <laughs> I think what is great about this Proud Boys movement is that there's I don't think there is any of that. <laughs> there, I don't feel like it's shaming them. I think it's yeah. taking the name back. But I did see. Right. One of my rather woke friends, which I was surprised, um, kind of calling that argument of like, well, that just plays into that old thing of how we're trying to make them feel ashamed for calling them. And I'm like, I let's let's be just let's enjoy (laughs) giant men (laughs) and being proud boys for a moment. Because that's wonderful. That's (laughs) using the Santorum solution. Exactly. Precisely. Uh, against them. I'm like, finally, oh, the Democrats sorry. are understanding, like, <laughs> some of how to work the system that, anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> but, yeah, go. That goes back no, into that, Pepe the Frog documentary, too. So go exactly. see Feels Good, man. 
I I will also do that. I've got so many things on my list now. Awesome. So, cool. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I'll take us out with something or other, but thank you, Mark, for making making the time to do this and indulging me. I always enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely. Good to speak well, to you again. Uh, always and uh, someday soon, uh, maybe we'll see each other in person again. Yes, or and in VR. Or in VR. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. All right, well, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye. I thought I knew everything there was to know about that job until today. Computers. So what? You can learn. I don't know that. It's a whole new area for me. And there's so much to learn. I'm intimidated already. That thing just sits on my desk and stares at me with that idiotic blinking light on the screen. It took me all morning to find out that much. Then my boss asked me to make a copy of his disk. Well, I didn't know what he meant, so I proceeded to the photocopy machine and I made a copy of the disk. He laughed so hard that the entire office came over to see what was so funny. I just wanted to shrink up and crawl under a rock somewhere. <laughs>